Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 152. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them. I don't know, you could have multiple if you want. Um, and then yeah, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Oh guys, if you could see me now, I might share this on Instagram, maybe. I have got freshly applied fake tan, so I'm like sticky and I can't put clothes on. So I'm like in a dressing gown. My And then I've got like, I'm on the, on the bed because it's the only quiet place I can record. And the, the podcast mic is on a box with books on top and I'm moving it right now, but I'm not allowed to move it. Chris, who edits my podcast, is like, don't move. So I'm trying not to move. And because I can't move and I need to get near the mic, but it's on this box and I don't want to cross my knees because I don't want to mark my fake tan. I've got my legs either side of the box and then I've got my laptop also squeezed in between like my box, the box and my legs. And I'm so I can read my notes and it's just incredibly uncomfortable and yeah. And hilarious. So we'll see how this goes. I'm going to try and stay still. I mean, I'm fidgeting right now, but because I'm just so uncomfortable, but I'm going to try and stay still so that the quality of the sound is okay. We'll see. So today's episode, I originally was like, this isn't going to be a long one. Seven pages of notes later. Um, So we'll see. So a number of you have reached out to ask me whether I'm going to talk about my next steps for small intestine fungal overgrowth treatment. And I wasn't originally going to do that as I have an expert in mind to invite onto the show. But as a number of you asked, I hope that by sharing my story, it will be somewhat helpful for you. So today is basically like where I'm where I'm at post SIBO eradication and what my next steps are with CIFO whilst in Greece, <laughs> trying to manage this stuff in Greece. And before I dive in, I just wanted to remind you, for those of you who 
haven't received an email, you're not on my mailing list or you don't follow me on Instagram, that I am releasing an endo belly course. So endo belly specific, it's all about that bloating, that swelling you get, gut health, healing the endo belly. But at the moment, it's not open to the general public. It's only open for founding members. So as a founding member, you will help to shape the course, tell me what you want in it, give me some feedback on what I've created so far. And in return, you get it for a very heavy discount. So the course is six weeks long. And when it's available to the general public, it will be £150. Um, obviously, there'll be the early bird price and there'll be a payment plan if people need it. But for founding members, you can get it for £80. Um, there is a payment plan if you need that as well. And you have lifetime access to any update. So even if I update the course and make it better, like, 30 times over the next, like, I don't know, 30, 40 years, you'll, you'll always get that update. So you'll never have to like enroll again or pay to upgrade. So the course will provide you with a step-by-step -step roadmap for healing the endo belly, investigating the root causes of your endo belly, and it will provide protocols for specific conditions, like co-conditions of endometriosis that often cause endo belly, like small intestine bacterial overgrowth, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, histamine intolerance, candida. If you suffer with IBS issues with your endometriosis, if you suffer with bloating, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, acid reflux, constipation, this course is going to be really, really helpful. So if you're interested in signing up and becoming a founding member, just email me at hello at thisendolife.com and just write yes in the subject box. And then it's much easier for me to find your email because I'm getting quite a lot of emails. And so just seeing yes in subject box, I know to get back to it quickly. Enrollment ends on Sunday, the 12th um, of September at midnight BST. So you need to have sent the email and signed up before that. So if you send the email at like midnight on Sunday, I won't have time to send you the sign up. So you need to email me in advance so I can send you the details and how to sign up. Yeah, there aren't many places left. I've lost count. I think there might be five places left. So um, yeah, it's if you know if you are interested, then probably email in sooner rather than later. And yeah, I hope to see some of you in the course. Okay. So let's start talking about SIFO. So, okay, so in contrast, you know, with SIBO, I had quite a long-term plan in mind for SIBO, whereas with SIFO, this is more so I'm feeling out my journey because as I discussed in my previous update, I'm not 100% sure if the issue is gut dysbiosis or SIFO or potentially something else. It could be something as simple as fructose intolerance because you you can get tested for sugars like the specific types of sugars and whether you're intolerant to them so you know if I don't respond well to the candida treatment the CIFO treatment then I will test that and there's some other conditions that I'm going to mention today that I do have a lot of the symptoms of that it could also be but at the moment all of the fingers are generally pointing at CIFO and I'm going to explain that in a minute so that's where I'm going to start anyway also, just a side note, if it was a sugar intolerance, like I was intolerant to fructose, that can sometimes be because of having SIBO or candida or something like that. And once you 
heal the gut, you then can tolerate it. So just getting one of those tests and not investigating anything else, you might then cut out like fruits or something for the rest of your life, but you didn't need to, you just needed to heal your gut. So side note. So let's start with what CFO is. So CFO stands for small intestine fungal overgrowth. And it's when fungus like yeast or, or other fungi grow in the small intestine. And we do have some normal non-harmful levels of fungus and yeast in the large intestine, but they become a problem either when they overgrow or when they're found in the small intestine, just like, you know, with bacteria. Now, unfortunately, the symptoms of SIFO are exactly the same as SIBO, fun. So it can be very tricky to identify between the two. What makes it harder is that testing for SIFO is quite unreliable. Often the fungus hides in biofilms, which are in the simplest terms, they're like protective mucosal like layers. So they don't show up on tests. And even if they do show up on tests, there's no way without a very invasive biopsy to tell whether the fungus is in the large intestine or the small intestine. What we do know is that the organic acids test tends to be the most reliable test, at least according to the practitioners that I've trained with, and that is a urine test. The biopsy is sort of the gold standard, but it's really not commonly done because it's so invasive and unpleasant. We also know that candida tends to be the culprit behind CFO in many cases, and just to be clear, that's a type of yeast which causes thrush. And we also know that SIBO and CFO are present in 19% of cases together. So out of the percentage of people who have SIBO, 25% will have SIBO on its own. About 19% have SIBO and CFO. And then there's another 19%, which is just CFO alone. So sorry, out of people who have overgrowth, bacterial overgrowth, dysbiosis going on in their gut, 19% of SIFO alone, 25% is SIBO, and SIBO and SIFO occur together in 19%. Now, there are some extra telltale signs of candida, specifically if that's the fungus behind the problem. And those are allergies, yeast overgrowth, that could be vaginal, oral, or on the skin sometimes, nasal congestion and excess mucus or phlegm, rashes, joint pain, brain fog and chronic fatigue and headaches. The difficulty is that, you know, unless you have the obvious thrush, whether oral, vaginal or on your skin, these symptoms are also typical of histamine intolerance, right? You've heard me talk about them before, which you know, if you listen to my podcast, is really common within our community. And it's also super common with SIBO as well, and hydrogen sulfide SIBO specifically. So, I had suspected hydrogen sulfide, and for sure I have histamine intolerance. So any possible CFO really wasn't very obvious at the time. I put it down to hydrogen sulfide SIBO and histamine intolerance, until more recently that is. So as you might know, about two months ago, I cleared my SIBO, but unfortunately I still had the majority of the SIBO symptoms. I also had an unusual test result, which showed no hydrogen gas in my large intestine, which is where it should be. So in a healthy negative result, 
you should see a little hydrogen gas in the small intestine and then a rise in the large intestine. But I had a completely flat line. So this indicates two possible issues, either hydrogen sulfide or a bacterial imbalance in my large intestine, essentially the bacteria in my gut having been wiped out. So it wasn't like I had an overgrowth, it was like everything had been wiped out, so I wasn't making any gas at all. Because I'd done so many treatment rounds, and most of them would target all three types of SIBO, I felt it was unlikely that it was still hydrogen sulfide that was remaining. And my colleagues agreed. And secondly, I had done a round of antibiotics and I reacted quite badly to them. I had a lot of diarrhea, I had a lot of fatigue, I had headaches. I don't normally get headaches, I had a lot of headaches. And after I finished the course, I got shingles which you only get when you're very, very immune compromised. And 70% of the immune system is in and around the gut. So if you have a healthy microbiome in the large intestine, sorry, if your healthy microbiome in your large intestine is wiped out, you can bet your immune system will be wiped out too. So for sure, I was certain that there was some dysbiosis happening but I didn't believe it was enough to be the cause of all of my symptoms. And I had a few clues that made me suspect SIFO. Firstly, I was doing pretty well with symptom reduction until the third week of the elemental diet, which is full of simple sugars. Suddenly, I began to blow up again. And I also had a strong white film throughout the entire elemental diet on my mouth which indicated that the fungus or bacteria in my mouth was feeding on the sugar. And secondly, I started having fresh symptoms during the elemental diet, which I do not get of them. Then from the elemental diet, I went on to antibiotics and I got fresh symptoms again. Now, Dr. C. Becker warns that the elemental diet may cause yeast or fungal overgrowth in people who already have it or have a history of it. In contrast, Dr. Ruscio uses the elemental diet for candida overgrowth because he says the simple sugars are absorbed too quickly for the yeast to eat, so it ends up starving. I think it's probably the case that both doctors are right, but it depends on the individual and that they see different types of patients. Either way, it seemed quite clear to me that I had some yeast overgrowth as a result of the elemental diet. So I went to my doctor at Vala and they agreed that it looked like I had candida overgrowth in my mouth. Um, they agreed the white film looked like that. And additionally, I've always had a white film on my tongue, honestly, ever since I could remember. And I used to ask dentists about it, but they would shrug it off and tell me it was just down to what I'd eaten. But I was waking up with it before I had eaten a thing. Um, but back then I just, you know, took what they said as gospel then a few years ago, my boyfriend and I went through a real sweet tooth phase long before I had gotten on top of my endo um, and I was eating an anti-inflammatory diet and we were eating a lot of sugar. And at that point, I got full-on oral thrush. So the white tongue, you know, transformed into full-on oral thrush, which thankfully cleared within 24 hours of taking the medication. So before it got too bad, or at least I thought it cleared, but I, you know, now I think that this white film was always candida, but just kept at bay. 
And I've only ever had vaginal thrush a handful of times, like probably three times. I think I've had it like, like full on thrush. I've sometimes got the beginning of it and then it's gone away within like an hour or something. So again, initially I really didn't think candida was an issue for me. However, the fact that I then started getting symptoms from the two things we know may cause yeast overgrowth, the elemental diet and antibiotics, we know that they can cause it. That made me think that maybe I have had CFO all along, right? Like I just said, but the white film never got out of control. And I don't think that it was like I have candida in, you know, my vagina all the time, but maybe when the candida gets out of control, it ends up going there too. Now, having said this, According to Dr. Jacoby, candida can also cause a burning bladder. And for sure, that's what my pain feels like inside my bladder. Like I have a fire going on there or like there was a fire going on there and now I've been burned. And it also feels like there's a few rusty knitting needles shoved through it as well. Now, Dr. Jacoby doesn't distinguish whether she means, you know, burning on emptying your bladder. She says burning in the bladder. So I'm assuming that is exactly what she means and that's what I suffer with so again another potential sign that you know I've had this for a long time so alongside my colleagues who I trained with in SIBO and my doctor who is a functional medicine doctor I concluded that I do likely have SIBO and gut dysbiosis together the problem is if you have SIFO it's usually quite hard to clear SIBO or to stay in remission. And so even though I still had all of the symptoms of SIBO, so it was hard to tell, I did feel like I relapsed with my SIBO about two weeks into my all clear. The changes were subtle, but they were there. It could have been, you know, my gut was messed up after the antibiotics. It could have been as things changed, but I was still, you know, I was still having bloating and loose stools that hadn't changed. But what had improved is... I could no longer feel fermentation happening in my gut. Like I couldn't feel active bubbles forming and moving around in my gut, which I used to get all the time. And that returned about two weeks in. The second issue was that my stools changed and I won't go into detail, but it was reminiscent of when my SIBO used to be really bad and I hadn't had that for many years. Then I started getting burping back, which was actually a new symptom originally, which I think started in 2019, but it went during the treatment and it came back around the same time as these other symptoms came back too. So this occurred whilst I was in the prevention of relapse phase. Um, So when you clear your SIBO, you move into a three to six month period where you put in place meal spacing Prokinetics, which are supplements or drugs which stimulate your migrating motor complex in the small intestine overnight, and that's just a movement that clears out old food, debris, and bacteria. And then you also do some kind of SIBO diet. There's also also some um, additional extras that you can do, which I was doing. Um, I was pretty much doing everything perfectly, but I relapsed. So I was two weeks in, And I was deciding what treatment to start for SIFO. So I knew that was my next step. And at that point, sometime after my relapse is when we decided to go to Greece. 
just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. Now, originally, you'll know that my plan was to do a very specific reintroduction of foods because obviously I've been restricted for quite a while now. And I was going to follow the usual elimination diet reintroduction phase where you try one new food basically a week. So you try one food for three days in a row and then you remove it again for four days. You don't add anything new in and you wait for any delayed symptoms to see if you react. But now I had relapsed and I was at the point where I never didn't have symptoms. I bloated after every meal. I burped after every meal. Despite being on the SIBO biphasic diet, I was on the strictest form of the SIBO biphasic diet at that point. So I couldn't get any more restrictive. So trying to tell what I was specifically going to react to was going to be incredibly difficult and frustrating. Also, you know, we've been wanting to travel for years But in addition to COVID, we hadn't because of my SIBO. So I didn't want to be in the position where I had to eat outside of a SIBO diet and end up relapsing. But by this point, I had relapsed. And part of what may cause relapse is chronic stress and an elevated nervous system. And I'm not going to go into it now, but many of you know that I have felt very, very stressed and unsafe in our current home in Margate but we've had continual circumstances that have prevented us from moving. One of them being that we just didn't want to jump to a new flat, you know, a rental flat, just to be somewhere to get out of that house, but not really want to be there and be stuck in another six month or 12 month contract. We really wanted to move overseas and and, and roam around for a while. So we'd been waiting for COVID to clear. And additionally, other than feeling unsafe and stressed in our house, We also had mould, which we've cleared as much as we can, but there's likely a lot hidden as the entire flat was flooded not long after we first moved in. And it was after that that I got very, very sick with histamine intolerance, which can flare up from mould triggering the immune system. But this is a stressor on the body and nervous system. So anything that's triggering the immune system to react like that is a stressor. And that can cause relapse if your immune system is being compromised by something like mold because it will impair the immunity of the gut. And additionally, being stressed actually impairs digestion and stops the protective mechanisms that help you to clear bacteria from your small intestine. And on top of that, I'd worked really hard for a really, really long time and it's been a tough few years. So we made quite an overnight decision to go to Greece for six weeks. And, you know, our our original plan, what we'd been wanting to do this entire time was to pack up and leave the flat entirely, put our stuff in storage and just travel Europe for six months because, I mean, that's all we're allowed to do. Thanks to Brexit, it would have been longer. But because of the restrictions with COVID, it was just all so limited. Um, And so fingers crossed we can do that this year. But most countries that we want to go to aren't even letting us in now. 
But we both decided that enough was enough and we wanted a break from the house and a change of scenery. Um, And of course it was something that we just wanted to do in life in general, but in a large part for me, my health was my motivation and my therapist even called it an intervention. And that's for sure what it felt like. like. You know, we have kind of put ourselves at risk I took some money out for us to be able to go to Greece because I'd spent basically all of my savings on SIBO. But I just felt very sure that this was the right decision to do. And yeah, so it really felt like an intervention and like this needed to be done. So I made the decision to go to Greece, knowing full well I wouldn't have control about the reintroduction of food. But at this point, I was pretty certain that I had relapsed. And given that I still had the CFO road ahead of me, a breakaway seemed not just like it wouldn't do much damage, but that it would be good for me. So my plan for SIBO and CFO basically revolved around Greece because I would have to take all of the treatment with me. So I needed to plan it all in advance. And I established three goals. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like consciously establish three goals. I'm not that organized. But what I decided to focus on ended up being three goals. So keeping SIBO at bay and continuing the prevention of relapse to the best of my ability so it didn't progress rapidly. Beginning to take on CFO, but gently to avoid any die-off whilst I was away and to rebuild my microbiome and improve my gut lining, which I was already working on anyway. So as a result, here's what my current protocol looks like. So I'm gonna start with diet. So before we went away, I began expanding with one to three new foods a week. Um, Just some of the key ones that I thought I should try before we went um, that I thought I would likely rely on in restaurants like lentils and some nuts. Um, I couldn't be more wrong. I've not seen any beans or nuts on the menu anywhere. Maybe some hummus, but that's like one of the worst things. I'm not I'm not reintroducing that right now. But yeah, I couldn't be more wrong with that. Then as we planned for Greece, my aim was to eat as expanded as possible. So basically the more lenient end of, of a SIBO diet, which looks more like the expanded version of the low FODMAP diet and the paleo diet. So those are kind of the um, more lenient ends of the SIBO diet options. And this is fine, by the way, you won't relapse if you expand. That's the whole point of the prevention of relapse phase. You are like to a degree restricting carbohydrates, but the point is to expand to tolerance as rapidly as possible so you can get back to a normal diet. Now, of course, I had no bloody idea what I was and wasn't tolerating, so I just decided to follow the low FODMAP serving guidance to help me to stay within some kind of relatively low-carb protocol. So before we went, I basically started transitioning from the biophasic, which is very, very restrictive, to low FODMAP, right? So that's kind of what I was doing during that time period. Now, because we are here for six weeks, I did have the advantage of not knowing that I wasn't going to be eating out all the time. So my plan was, and, and what I've implemented whilst I'm whilst I'm here, was to eat low FODMAP during the week at home, and then at the weekend to eat as low FODMAP or paleo-friendly as I could manage whilst out and about, but allowing for treats and just basically enjoying and appreciating a different cuisine and, you know, not worrying if... I had to eat something that was just 
basically not low FODMAP or paleo because we were at the airport or something. Now, my doctor, who is a functional medicine doctor, she did send me the candida diet. There are a few different versions of that, but essentially it is a low-carb diet to a degree that removes yeasts and sugars. And I had a look through it, and because in terms of servings, it's generally less restrictive than the low FODMAP diet, I was essentially doing it, basically, other than when I have some bread or ice cream over the weekend whilst I'm in Greece. But, you know, back at home... I don't do that at all, but I didn't really want to go down a rabbit hole with that. I just didn't want to go down a rabbit hole with the candida diet because I was just like, Jesus, how many diets am I like going to try or juggle with? And I'm not sure how suitable the candida diet is for SIBO, to be honest. It's not being provided as an option for us to use. And equally, some practitioners debate whether the candida diet is even necessary um, when you're treating CFO. So that's going to be a bridge that I cross when I get home. But for the most part, I'm I'm naturally just doing it anyway because I don't eat, you know, I don't eat um yeasted foods um unless I'm, you know, unless I treat myself over the weekends whilst I'm here. I don't eat simple sugars. I eat very low sugar fruits. Um and I'm obviously, my servings are restricted because I'm low FODVAP. So I'm just naturally doing that anyway to a degree. So we've been here for about two weeks now. And I've settled into a routine of this kind of pattern now. The first weekend we were in Athens for 48 hours and we're traveling a lot. And we didn't really have time to seek out gluten-free and dairy-free, etc. We did stumble across a few places, thankfully. So that was great. But I ended up eating quite a bit of gluten. And by the third day, I felt really unwell. I felt really nauseous. I started getting an upset stomach as well. I also had dairy too, once or twice, because it actually turns out in Greece, it's really hard to eat vegan and gluten-free in general restaurants, unless you find like a specialist restaurant. The protein options are mainly meat, fish or dairy. And often the fish were things that I just wouldn't, be able to stomach like octopus and as you know I was hoping to transition back off meat after having to eat um, meat on the biphasic so I wasn't really opting for many meat dishes at all I think I think I've had chicken once since I've been here yeah I think that's it so I had some cheese um, every now and then as you know being a health coach blood sugar is really important to me and so you do need protein with every meal for balanced blood sugar. And also my blood sugar is very susceptible to lows. So just having a plate of carbs um, would really mess me up. You know, if I just had a plate of vegetables and some bread, I it would make my blood sugar plummet and that would ruin the rest of my day. It would surge and then it would plummet. And when that happens, I feel very unwell. I feel very shaky. I feel very faint. So I just had to make choices about having enough fat and protein, and that sometimes looked like a little dairy. Now, I know I'm intolerant to dairy. I had a test many, many years ago. That test could be wrong because food sensitivity tests aren't that reliable, especially when you've got gut health conditions. They may only be presenting because you have gut conditions. And so me coming up as intolerant may be because having SIBO actually does cause temporary lactose intolerance. So until you clear it, you don't really know if you are lactose intolerant or not. Um, and also I've been like vegan for seven years until recently. So I hadn't eaten dairy for years, but 
when I cut out dairy and gluten, that's when everything improved dramatically with my gut. Uh, before that, I was a mess. So I wasn't eating huge amounts. In Like since we've been in Greece, I wasn't eating huge amounts of cheese. And I just tried to choose cheeses that I knew that I would probably tolerate better. So like hard cheeses. And I was avoiding cow's dairy and milk for the most part. Um, I could get almond milk pretty easily um, and oat milk. And we've actually found some vegan cheese now as well, but that's not a protein source. So that's not helpful. So I was avoiding cow's kind of dairy for the most part, except for a scoop of ice cream like here or there. But in Athens, I could get vegan ice cream. So that was cool. So that was, you know, what I was having to do. And I think I've been able to manage my food so much better since we got to Skopelos. But in Athens, it was really like what I could get. And um, yeah, by the third day, I was very unwell. And I got tear gassed. So <laughs> histamine reactions all over um, and gut reactions all over. Anyway, because I was nervous about eating foods out, especially foods that I hadn't eaten for a long time, I took with me betaine hydrochloric acid, which is stomach acid support. Um, and that helps break down protein. It helps break down all foods, but especially protein. Digestive enzymes, FODMAT, which is um, a supplement, which is digestive enzymes specifically for FODMAP foods, which obviously I've not been eating any FODMAP foods for many months now, and charcoal capsules, which absorb gas if you have bloating. And they can also be helpful with diarrhea. And all of these things have been really handy when out. Um, I've still not had like the happiest gut, but I wasn't having sudden severe reactions whilst out and kind of needing to run to loo, which is what I used to get and is what I was scared of. So I didn't, I didn't have any like immediate reactions. So that's the diet side of things. I've basically decided to do, you know, um, I'm in control during the week, uh, work week, I'm low FODMAP. And then at the weekend, I try to be, I try to make low FODMAP paleo decisions, but inevitably there are a couple things during the day that I will treat myself to, or um, I just can't work around the menu, especially because there are not a lot of vegetable side dishes, at least here. Most of it consists of like Greek salad and I can't eat many of the things in there. And it's very difficult. Basically, it's very difficult to make up a meal of like vegetables here and then there's no protein. So you know, doing what I can at the weekend, but not really worrying about it and also allowing myself to enjoy the Greek cuisine too. Um, and then I've got these kind of digestive, digestive supports. So that's the diet side of things. So now let's talk about CFO. For CFO, I didn't want to go in too hardcore now um, and then have like lots of die-off reactions whilst I was away because that would have just left me feeling really, really unwell. I had terrible die-off when I first started with SIBO and couldn't even walk for like 10 minutes was so bad. So instead, what I wanted to do is start subtle. Um, so I have one week of an anti of an antifungal from my doctor called um, Nystatin, which I'm taking at the moment. But I am also taking a high dose of Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a healthy yeast probiotic, and it competes with Candida for space in the gut. And it's been shown to be very effective in research. And I'm also taking another probiotic called Lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM, which creates candida antibodies to kill it off. 
And I'm also taking immunoglobulins, which are naturally a part of our immune system and they line our gut um, and really any kind of mucosal layer. So they line our nose and our lungs, um, but specifically they really line our gut. Um, and I'm very low on these in the um, tests that I've done. And they bind to toxins and help expel them. Um, and when we're low, we're more susceptible to infections, parasites, yeast, etc. So I'm taking them to help with both the SIBO and the CFO. They're usually recommended in tough cases where it's not clearing and the immune system needs a bit of support. Additionally, um, I'm taking glutathione, which is an antioxidant that's absolutely essential to liver function. And so this is supporting my liver to clear out all of the toxins as the candida, fungus, etc basically dies off so it's helping to get rid of those and that's helping me to lessen the die off right I'm not having a big build up of all of these toxins and then for SIBO I'm keeping it at bay with the strongest prokinetic that I can get called procalipride and this is a pharmaceutical drug but unfortunately the natural prokinetics they're just not normally strong enough and this was certainly the case for me I tried them all they just didn't do the job. And I think it's in part why it took me so long to clear my SIBO because I was relapsing between treatment rounds. But Procalipride is the shining star of prokinetics and it does feel like it is working for me. I hear my I hear my MMC kick in after I've taken it. So whilst doing that, I am also, of course, doing the diet pretty much, I guess, 80% of the time and then meal spacing as much as possible. So meal spacing is four hours between meals and 12 hours overnight. Sometimes I can't manage the four hours between meals because I'm hungry or I need to support my blood sugar or I'm on the move and you know I have to get food at that point because I'm not gonna be able to get it again in a while. Or you know, at minimum, we're required to do, tw to do 12 hours overnight but I think maybe three days since I've been here, I ended up doing less than that because of the traveling um, and having to get up early for planes and stuff um, because I need to eat before I get into cars and on planes otherwise I get travel sickness. So I think I ate at like five in the morning or something when we left. So I think three times, I maybe did 10 hours or eight hours. But at a minimum on the whole, I'm doing 12 hours overnight. And alongside that, I'm also taking low dose allicin, which is an extract from garlic. And I used it multiple times in my SIBO treatment um, with success. You probably heard me talk about it. And allicin also kills off fungus. It's reportedly not strong enough alone to kill fungus and yeast. It needs something else with it, like, you know, oregano maybe. But it can help, and in combination with the probiotics, I think it's just a nice combo to keep the CFO at bay, at least. You know, even if it's not actively killing it off, it's keeping it at bay. So I'm taking the allicin at a low dose to keep the SIBO at bay, and this is a common approach. So Dr. Seebecker doesn't use it, but some other doctors do use it between the treatment rounds instead of using a prokinetic. Um, and it does work, but you don't want to if you do that between your treatment rounds or SIBO, then you run the risk of just becoming resistant to all of the antimicrobials that you're just taking all the time. So she advises against that. So I never did that in the past, but I'm I'm doing it now for six weeks, just taking some low-dose allicin. When I get back, I'll swap. So it's not going to be enough to kill, kill the SIBO, but it just sort of keeps it from growing like crazy, hopefully. 
Elsiplan. Then, of course, the immunoglobulins um, help too. Then, for the microbiome and gut lining repair, I'm taking high-dose fish oil. Uh, I'm taking about 2,000 milligrams. I would normally take about 3,000 milligrams, but I just couldn't bring that many capsules with me. So I'm on 2,000 milligrams, still a high therapeutic dose. And that helps to repair the gut lining. And it also helps to lower intestinal inflammation, which helps to support the microbiome to flourish. I'm taking um, 2,000 milligrams of quercetin, which again helps to repair the gut lining and also lowers inflammation in the body and in the gut. And it's also a natural antihistamine. I was taking L-glutamine before I left, which is the best leaky gut healer, but the tub was huge and it also was open and it's a white powder. So I was like, if I take this, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> so um, I didn't take that, but I was using it for like a month or a month and a half before I left. Additionally, um, the Saccharomyces boulardii also helps to repair the gut lining and the Lactobacillus acidophilus um, NCFM probiotic that I bought, it actually contains two other strains which have been shown to repopulate the gut and increase levels of, benefic of beneficial bacteria. Now, normally, I wouldn't take so many probiotics with SIBO because taking too many can cause a flare-up and even cause it to grow, but um, it's about testing your tolerance. If you take a probiotic and your bloating or SIBO symptoms get worse, it's probably not the best one for you um, because it means it's feeding your SIBO. But in contrast certain single strains tend to be better tolerated and I've talked about them before on the show in a separate episode and what I like to do with my clients is to build them up to a few strains so you know I try them on one for a week or two and then I or a month even and then I try them on another and I try very specific strains that I know tend to react well so this is the approach that I was taking um I was already on two so with this combination I'm on four and I tested them out before I left to make sure I wasn't reacting. And so I had got to two, but I knew in order to take this Lactobacillus acidophilus NCFM, I, I took out L-Plantarum 299V because obviously there were three strains in this probiotic. So um, I was like, okay, if I take out my L-Plantarum, then that gives me four probiotics rather than five so that's what I did and I tested it out before I left to make sure I wasn't reacting but um the reason I did that is because I couldn't find a single strain of lactobacillus acidophilus and cfm anywhere and I spoke to my colleagues and they were like it's just too expensive to make single strains for the most part so usually they're combined so this was the best that I could find and it was a really good brand so um that's what I had to go with um, and also the immunoglobulins help to repair the gut lining and support the microbiome too. Additionally, in general, I have been supporting my gut using the app Nerva, which improves the gut-brain connection. And I've also been using Arvigo Massage at night to stimulate the migrating motor complex overnight. Both of these help to lower stress too, and that damages the gut lining and the microbiome. So addressing a stressed nervous system and an anxious gut is, you know, really important too. And so I see the Arvigo and the Nerva and being in Greece part of all of that. I have to say, I haven't 
being able to be consistent with the massage and the nerva with all of the traveling but we're a week into our um, new temporary home now and we'll be here for another week, three weeks, so um, I can get back into the routine. So that's my current protocol here in Greece. When I return to the UK in um, October, I'm going to move into a high dose of oregano and another yeast antimicrobial, probably candybactin AR or BR, but then I'm going to continue with the probiotics as well and I'll, of course, retest for SIBO. If I am positive, I may do the elemental diet again whilst taking antifungals as that should kill it at the same time. Um, I may then need to continue with the candida treatment for several months um, as it can take some time to clear. But I think that will be judged on whether I'm seeing any improvements because if it's not candida, then I don't want to waste time treating the wrong issue, right? And I'm hoping to do an organic acids test too to see if any candida shows up. Um, so what I'll do is take an antibiofilm for like two weeks ahead of the test and that will hopefully break up the biofilm so it can be detected. It doesn't always work, but you know, we'll see, we'll try. But there are plenty of natural antifungals to rotate through and I have all of the doses from my course with Dr. Jacoby, so I'll let you know which ones I'm doing as I go through the treatments. If it's not candida, um, I may still be having symptoms because of possible Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which I'm gonna be assessed for when I return, and um, I've been talking about that over on Instagram if you want to learn more about its connection to endo and SIBO. And it could also be that I'm just rapidly relapsing and severely reacting because of an upregulated nervous system, in which case there are two great courses for rewiring your brain if your body is very reactive. Um, one is called Dynamic Neural Retraining System, I think it's called, DNRS is the name. Um, and the other is the Gupta program. So I may consider those two. I do think I'm gonna need them at some point. And I, I see this a lot with my clients. They have an upregulated nervous system from years of pain and inflammation, and it takes some work to really get that down. It's really too early to say which route I'm gonna go down until I see what my SIBO results say, and I see how I respond to the candida treatment that I try when I get back. But that's kind of where I'm heading. Quite a few tests to do. Hopefully I can afford them when I get back, um, and a little bit of trial and error. So that's it. I hope that sharing my journey has given you some insight into your own journey. Maybe it's offered you some hope or motivation to keep going. I, I hope so. I know clearing these guys um, can be tough and I'm with you on that, but feeling well is possible. And I have to say, getting a change of scenery has just really um, just relaxed me a bit more about the whole thing um, and given me a bit more of a lease of life again to continue forward with it. So that's where I am. Um, I'm hoping to do some more on CFO in the future with some experts. Obviously, I'll be covering it in my course. So yeah, I hope this was helpful and I will see you next week. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. 
um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe it really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world Thank you.